Hello and welcome to E3, Energy and Efficiency with Emily. I'm your host, Emily Mottram. This podcast is all about architecture, building science, and female entrepreneurship. So prepare to get nerdy. Today, uh, we have the pleasure of talking with Trayvon, and I am going to let him tell you who he is and what he does in the world of architecture, and uh, then have him share a little bit more of his story with you. So, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining us today. All right, yep, I'm Trayvon Mathis, uh, based out of Toledo, Ohio. Um, <clears throat> I started the company Surveying, so I guess in the design world, we, uh, we do residential, and we also do some of the buildings. So we're doing commercial construction, residential construction, and uh, and things of that nature. A lot of community building, which is why we started it. Great, I am super excited to hear more about that. Um, in, in light of everything that's going on, um, building up our communities, I think is gonna be critical and important. So um, with everything going on in the last two weeks, why don't you share what you've been up to, aside from architecture? Uh, a little bit with the group, share your story with us. Yeah, so um, most of my time has been wrapped up in the, the Black Lives Matter protest movements and uh, <clears throat> and dealing with all of the, the windstorm that's come with that um, and trying to spread awareness as much as I can, trying to make this a community issue um, outside of my own community because this time that's what it is. Um, and uh, so for the last uh, about a week or so ago, I believe it was, we had uh, we had our first protest in Toledo, which didn't go very well. Um, it was peaceful and things got out of hand, just like in the other cities. So right now I'm just going around trying to spread awareness about, about those issues and kind of uh, let everyone see what this movement is all about. I don't know if you have any questions about that or... Yeah, I actually have a ton of questions. And so, you know, we have a tendency to stick our head in the sand and say, I don't know anything about that movement. And I think the the best thing that we can do right now is really start to educate ourselves. I really hate watching the news because unfortunately, what started out as a really peaceful demonstration to be totally against violence has gone the other way. And they've sensationalized a lot of that stuff. And so I think that's kept people from protesting. I'm sure um, there are people who haven't or won't protest protest because of COVID-19 and, you know, health risks and issues. Um, and I'm, I'm kind of disturbed by the people who say, oh, this isn't happening in my area because uh, as I shared with you, I'm from rural Maine and um, I actually have a really fantastic, wonderful architecture colleague who lives in a tiny town, maybe a thousand people. She decided to organize a protest. She put it on their local community forum. Um, unfortunately, she got a lot of negative response. She got almost 200 responses responses, you know, within the first couple of hours that she posted it. And they got some negative responses. And she said, you know what, this is really important. We're going to do it no matter what. And she had 100 people show up, you know, in a tiny town in rural Maine. And so for people who can't or don't want to protest, what's the next best way for people to get involved in, you know, in the movement? There have been pros and cons to people uh, sharing or using certain hashtags online. Are there, are there things that the people shouldn't do? I'll go, I'll start at the beginning. If you don't want to protest, which I highly encourage people to, um, I know there's a lot of violence around some of these protests, especially in some of the, in the bigger cities. Um, but I encourage you to go out. Uh, it's no one's usually trapped there when they first get there. But even if you don't want to protest, just watch and just see 
that uh, see who's actually protesting. You need to see these people, uh, especially the black people protesting, because people, a lot of people, especially those who aren't directly in front of these protests, are um, are kind of distanced from the people who are protesting. So they don't fully understand. They think, uh, you know, a lot. There's a lot of politicians calling them thugs and rabid animals and think and painting these protests out to be very violent protests, but uh, the majority of these people who are there um, are hum- humanitarian type of people, people who are who spend their days uh, giving food away, who spend their days finding shelter, because this protest is about police brutality. So um, if you if you can go out, you don't have if you don't want to be in the protest, look at the protest. Um, that's the best way to educate, especially if one's nearby. If you feel like there's uh, going to be some violence then I guess you, the best way is to watch from a distance, but just pay attention to what the protesters do and the police response if you wanna, if you wanna get educated. Now, uh, the second best thing you can do if you're not gonna go is to start talking to people around you because what you'll find is a lot of people have conflict, conflicting views that are based in simply not knowing what's going on. Um, for a lot of people, the only source of information they get on this is from, you know, Trump's tweets or the local politician who's against the whole thing or the news. And uh, the thing is, that narrative is skewered, as you said before. So speak yeah. to people around and speak from a point of, um, of valuing human life. And, under, and, and even more so, think about this. What if it were you and your family? So let's remove race from the situation, okay? Um, and let's just talk about police brutality, okay? Because people say all lives matter, and they do. And if that's the case, then ask yourself, what if it was your family? What if it was your son? What if the police pulled you over and you expressed your rights, you were within your rights, and those rights were set, were thrown to the side, literally, middle finger, fuck those rights. And... Um, and you were you were hurt. What would be your next step? Your next step would be outrage. You need to report this. Someone needs to pay for this. He's not operating correctly. This is not how our society is. You would feel furious, and you would demand consequences for that person. <clears throat> and if you did not get them, then what? And that's that's why we've come to such a violent uh, past because an entire population of people have been told that nothing's gonna happen and they're asking now what they don't know what else to do uh we've we've took knees we've we've done everything our power we've marched we've said black lives matter we've been we've met we've been met with all manner of excuses but in 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 the end the end to all arguments is what justifies taking a life if he's a criminal he's a career criminal does that justify him being murdered without a trial is that what our country is based on if your answer is no then you need to join the black lives matter protest because that's what it's about it's about the fact that right now people are signing away people's lives and the justice behind that under oh he was a criminal or oh he was an upstanding citizen or hey he could have been breaking in a house or why was he in that neighborhood and then you ask so all of these questions, yeah, so what? But did he deserve to die? And 
people are people will never if they if they're avid about it they'll try to dance around it yeah no he didn't i'm not justifying that but well as soon as you say i'm not justifying that that's the end of the conversation we can deal with all the other stuff later we can deal with the criminal behaviors we can deal with all of that later but the fact is people cannot be executed in the streets people cannot just die and nothing happens so have that conversation with your closest neighbor someone who maybe is on the fence maybe someone it's it's going to be tough if you if you actually feel this way if you agree with it you may even lose friends the reaction is violent it doesn't make sense um and i can't tell you why but you will receive some extreme pushback and that's what we're trying to fight that's where the violence is coming from um we are protesters sure but behind that protest we are the we are the peaceful voice who are pleading like hey look um it's getting out of control we're trying this is our peaceful voice right here but behind us is something building that is not they they're done all right they can't they can't take it anymore they're being hurt there's no justice they are ready to flip out and we're like look we're still trying to get you to see in front of this roar of people who are who are vandalizing who are this is a byproduct this is not the this is not the focus the riots the looting that's not the focus this is the byproduct of people's lives not being valued so they don't know how else to reach out yeah i think too many people are focused on that that part and they're missing the whole underlying story which you just said right there you know that and that's part of the reason why i don't like to watch the news because they sensationalize the byproduct and they miss the whole point of what you were trying to say in the first place so i appreciate you you know coming on and really saying hey look there's there's something else here and you have to get down to the heart of the real education and so i appreciate you sharing that and the focus and the story and really why people are protesting. Like, what are you actually protesting? Not condoning the the violence and the riots, but saying, hey, no, this this is what this protest is about, and this is why you should care and why, why it matters. Uh, so this is a podcast about architecture too, and you are a, you know, up and coming architect. So that's really uh, an amazing thing. And, you know, the AIA board of directors said, you know, we support the protests to stop systematic state sanctioned violence against people of color, period. But are there ways that you think that the architecture community can start to help create community to, to the protester are absolutely important. And I agree with you, go out, see who's protesting, learn why they're protesting, learn, learn and understand that. Um, but in the flip side of that, the, the real movement forward, I believe, is going to be for us to develop better communities. Do you see a way in architecture for, for people in the architecture and construction industry to, to start to develop those communities? Um, yeah. So uh, Savan has partnered with um, a few different entities to make this happen. So to be clear, uh, we can design and build all kinds of things. But the, the, the fact of the matter is that the job of the architect doesn't just stop at the at at building the environment, right? We have to consider beyond that into how people interact with the environment. And that goes deeper than how long do they sit in the living room in the living room, but rather <clears throat> what activities are encouraged in the space, uh, their their built environments, proximity to economic factors. Uh, we have to 
many architects take on a city planner kind of role, right? A master planner kind of role when they, when they turn into developers. And that's, at, at the end of the day, that's something that should be happening. But a lot of us are just architects, so what can we do? Um, Sylvain partnered with a local, uh, it's called Toledo Permaculture Network, okay? And they're going around trying to build cost-efficient homes for people to break them of the need of utilities and things of that nature. So <clears throat> I'm a fan of permaculture because it's living with nature versus against, whereas sustainability is like, let's do everything we can to maintain our current way of living, um, but let's just try to be a little bit greener about it. Or, you know, so that, or in sustainability's truest sense, it's permaculture exactly, but in how it's actually playing out in the real world, it's, I wanna keep my air conditioner um, but maybe let's make it efficient. <laughs> no, you so. are speaking my language uh, right now. So so I'm really big in the building science community and we are trying to get people, um, and somebody said, so um, I participate in a thing called the BS and Beer Show. So on Thursday nights, we do building science and beer. And I believe it was two or three weeks ago, um, we had somebody on and we were talking about how it's not good enough to just do a little better. Like our buildings need to be carbon negative. They need to be pulling carbon out of the environment. We need to be using natural products, not creating, um, you know, the, the best environmentally friendly house is not a 4,000 square foot spray foamed house in the middle of the wilderness somewhere, you know, and it, it's so critically important for our buildings to be part of nature and for environment to, to realize that, you know, this is the only earth we got and we're just using it up. And so we're, we shouldn't be propagating the continue to make this more efficient, but use everything we do. And I think a lot of that movement applies to, to this other Black Lives movement, which is we can't just do a little bit better. It needs a whole overhaul. We need to be doing a whole lot than doing a little bit better. And right. so, so you're, you're speaking my language when you're turn, talking energy efficiency, because that's something I know a whole lot about. But, uh, you know, I appreciate you coming on here and giving me the, the flip side to things I don't know as much about. But you're right. Architecture does not start or end with just the building. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the nature and the part of what we live in through the communities that use them. I mean, we even stopped using those words. Um, subdivision is like a terrible word that people don't like. And we started getting away from that. Well, we don't build subdivisions, we build communities, you mm -hmm. know? And we're, that is where we are trying to go. And I think we need to do that on, on a lot of different aspects. Now we've had three things this year that they people are trying to get your attention. First, we had climate striking, then we had COVID-19, and now we have Black Lives Matter. Our citizens are asking for us to do better, and how do we do that? So, so um, I have, so to address the, the COVID-19 and the, the climate striking, these two, um, these two, the COVID-19 impacted the Black community pretty well, as, as, as it did everyone, you know, who didn't have economic means to weather it. Luckily, sure. we got stimulus check and stuff like that. But um, it was a moment where everybody realized, holy cow, if the supermarkets close, I am, I am, I'm stuck, you know? Right. So in my community, um, I've been a longtime partner with, uh, with an organization called Urban Holistics. So you put permaculture together with Urban Holistics, which is urban farming, and she's an herbalist. And you put these two together and they're building this self-sustaining community where they're making their many of their products from the plants that they grow 
while also building the infrastructure to grow food. So that solves the food shortage and, um, and independence, right? That cuts some of the economic stress from some of these uh, communities, which is a huge deal when we talk poverty, when we talk um, crime, it, that's one huge deal. So economic stress right there. And then also we've lost community with the current way that we design. Mm-hmm. So if you look at, uh, let's say, um, well, any modern city, you've got a street, you've got a sidewalk, you've got a front yard and you have a backyard. Um, it's, or the way our society is set up, it's set up to where it's people huddle inside of their homes. There's no cross, there's no left and right communication. And you know, when you decide to build these developments, uh, one thing that we have gotten right in the past a little bit is these is this communal kind of uh, let's say the project experiment, right? So you've got these these brick apartments, and you put a lot of people in them, right? Well, we got that part wrong, but what we did get right is the green space in the middle. Now we just have to make that space functional. Sorry, that's coffee. That's okay. <laughs> Everybody needs more coffee. <laughs> uh, functional. And we need to give it the, and, and encourage the community infrastructure to cut those economic issues. Um, and that's one way that architects can help. The rest is outside of our realm, but we can still encourage it. We can, we can look at the economic factors around. We can look at, you know, stuff like that. But that's more on the city planner level. So, you know, for example, in our homes, we build permaculture right in. So we don't use asphalt roofs. We use um, metal roofs, which may or may not be as sustainable uh, because of the carbon and process and, uh, and making that. But I think asphalt is, is worse. Yeah, right? asphalt's pretty terrible. So so instead of shingles, we're using, you know, we're using that sheet metal and that keeps the water a little bit more pure so they can harvest that rainwater for growing. And in some community, in some communities, you got to let the rainwater return to the ground like in California. But um, overall, just being able to reuse some of that rainwater, even if it goes to the ground for a planter and stuff like that. There's, you know, but we need to get towards permaculture and away from encouraging more and more technological incorporations because every uh, iteration of technological innovation adds complexity to the average person's life. Yeah. And, you know, uh, from an environmental standpoint, but also from, from an economic standpoint, we need to move towards getting off of oil because the more we have to dig deeper for oil and use that for, uh, so I'm reading this fascinating book um, called uh, Earth Calling. And, you know, there's all these chapters on oil and, you know, how easy oil was done in the 70s. And instead of moving towards, you know, more renewable technologies, we just moved towards more industry to figure out how to get deeper or different types of oil. And now we're down to like tar sands and all of that stuff, which they're using so much and creating so much climate change that they're causing areas to have droughts. I mean, you look at the the Midwest and the droughts and the issues that they had and, you know, rainwater and, and yet here you still have people who have lawns like why why do we have why do we have lawns that we then need gas guzzling tractors that we need to you know what why has that become this thing and so we've moved further and further we need more and more we've got to have all this stuff and now we're making genetically modified uh you know plants and and stuff 
<laughs> which are actually costing us more to factory farm because we've got bigger tractors that are farming the the seeds but we've got you know they're they're modifying them with strains of roundup so now we've got roundup in our food and and you know you're actually making it economically harder for what we used to have a lot of farming communities you know and local and like you said um i thought it was really interesting some of the stuff that i've seen on urban growing you know farms they've taken a shipping container and they grow a whole farm with hydroponics in a shipping container inside the city you know moving our you know just the transportation of our food source to the cities and, and then like you said we had COVID-19 and people didn't have access to anything anymore it's like where are those farms where are the local you know places that you could go to no we're reliant on the grocery store which is maybe not open not available don't have the money don't have the economics and so changing our communities and, and the face of our communities. And do you feel like, you know, so you went to architecture school and, you know, did you feel like there was a barrier to, to getting into the architecture profession because the school you went to in middle school didn't offer things that, you know, maybe would have interested you in it? Well, fortunately, not unfortunately, but fortunately, I actually went to a, a technical high school and focused on that. So I was very uh, fortunate to have access to those tools. And I was very far advanced in high school. Uh, but um, I think, I do think that not tr teaching these engineering skills and these STEM uh, skills, say in middle school, or just not, not the full blown thing, you know, these middle schoolers maybe don't need to know advanced physics, but sure, you know, it, it doesn't hurt to stack a couple Legos, you know, to just talk about it, get them, you know, uh, get them excited about problem solving, because that's what we are at the end of the day, it's problem solvers. Right. And um, so one thing that we can also do with that is, uh, I mean, you might, if you go on my company's Facebook page, you'll see, you know, we let, we have certain sites that we let the kids come if we're hand digging holes and stuff. You know, we let them come and dig and, and we educate them anything they want to ask about or know about. You know, that's, that's something that we can do uh, with minimal time, with minimal investment. Usually the kids, sometimes the kids come back, usually they don't, you know, sign a waiver, don't bring them around dangerous stuff, but just letting them, engaging with them in the communities that you go into is a great way. Uh, the architect that got me into it, he showed me SketchUp and it was like over with from there. <laughs> you were like, I have to have it. I have to do it. I know my niece is in middle school as well. And she's like, I'm going to come work for you one day, auntie, you know, just because she saw me, she saw me doing some stuff like that with SketchUp. Um, do you think that we as architects and builders should maybe get involved? You know, like your business is, is really doing that. You know, you're inviting people to, to come out and, and, and like you're the same advanced physics, you know, I don't know that you need to do that in middle school, but, you know, coming out and being on a job site and, you know, using a, you know, a hand tool or, you know, swinging a hammer or something was huge for me growing up when, when we did those kinds. Of, I mean, here's a paintbrush, like they don't have to be, you know, super advanced technical portions of that. But I think we're missing the point where, and, and maybe it's because of how our cities are set up now or how our communities are set up now is like, we're missing the, that community situation. Like um, the school system used to have off in the summer times because that was when people would go out and farm and do that mm -hmm. kind of stuff. Well, well, I mean, I don't, so many of our communities aren't set up to farm because big farming is the only way that people farm, you know, now. Right. And so how do we get our communities? I, 
I know I would have thought it was super cool to go, you know, into an architecture office or out on, you know, on a house build when I was that age to, to do that. And so yes. is that something as an architecture community that we should be trying to, uh, we've talked about that a little bit, you know, here in Maine is, um, you know, how do we get our, how do we get our contractors and our, you know, tech high schools or high schools or middle schools, even just like, Hey, we created this program. If somebody wants to, to join in to say, like, is it, is it just a lack of access to people knowing that these are things? I mean, I don't know. I don't expect you to have an answer. It's just kind of a hypothetical. No, I do have an answer for that because that's something that I'm, that I'm dealing with. Um, the reality is first, let me say this. We're still rock stars. Like before, with like uh, like Frank Lloyd Wright and and all those guys, we're still rock stars. We just don't actually go out into the public and like be face on with that. You know, we we're lost and we forget that we're building. We're builders of community first, and or for a lot of us, some of us are building. You know, big corporate office buildings, but they're still key parts of the community. And architects kind of need to step forward and say, hey. We're here. We are the ones that are making, that are designing the world around you. You know, come and check us out. You know, um, in our city, they've done a couple uh, open tours and stuff like that. But it's close. It's pretty much close to other uh, architects and designers. Um, <clears throat> but if they, if we made a more conscious effort, you know, on Facebook, hey, in this event, you know, come, come meet the architect. I'm telling you, we're still rock stars. If I posted where people, I'm not an architect. And I correct people all the time. They're like, he's the architect that designed this. I'm like, well, I'm not the architect. Uh, I am the designer, not an architect, but it doesn't matter. They got it in their head and they're like, nope, you're the guy. You're so awesome. You designed all that. And that transfers to all of us. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, we just have to be more forward about pulling the community in um, versus we spend a lot of time marketing, you know, because obviously we got to make money. So most of our time is spent marketing and stuff like that. And when we do do like have a community thing, it's, you know, it's a photo op uh, and it's always just that, you know, it's not like we have a sustained uh, presence that the community can benefit from. We come out, maybe we'll stack some stuff or teach them a couple of STEM skills, but what happened to the days when there was like an open studio, like in Chicago, an open studio on, on different corners and stuff like that, um, that we volunteer and like the local AI volunteers to rotate into, you know, hey, come design something, come play around with some consoles and stuff like that. It's all it takes, but we don't yeah. do that right now. That I know of. Let me let me speak from what I know that I know of. Yeah, no, uh, and I, I think that you're right. I think in a lot of cases, we as architects have, have um, a let the let the world sort of guide that you know and we we haven't stood forward and said you know hey wait no this is you know this is how it is and for me with the building science aspect is you know we should be telling people that this is the starting point this is the barrier of entry for threshold for building new buildings and you know the the sad part of that is Passive House, um, which is a really great building standard where they're working towards a lot of this stuff, uh, is often found more in community projects than it is found in in residential projects. And I agree that we need to, at this point, take a step up and and 
be bigger supporters of our local communities and the things that are going on in our environment and share what we do to to get people interested in the field of architecture or the field of construction even um you know honestly i don't i don't know in your area if you're struggling with this we struggle with this here is um you know in 2008 when the market got bad a lot of people got out of contracting and they didn't come back you know and we're not we're not promoting trade programs to to people and so unfortunately we struggle as a country across the country with you know garnering interest for trades my parents encouraged uh, me to go to college do whatever you want some of it i kind of say like i wish you would have told me to go to trade school you know <laughs> i mean yeah. i love being an architect and i love the the voice that we could have and the potential that we could have to to make changes in our society but i think the construction industry could have those changes too so yeah and permaculture i mean so you're 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 way closer to the living building challenge end you know where it's where it's, the water is cleaner when it leaves the site than it was when it showed up and the you know the energy is produced on site and the the building is related to nature and and we should be striving towards that so um. that's what we're trying to get but in reality so and this is why I say we have to we have to look at innovations and tech like so right now we're architects are we have to cater to the clients and the clients are like dude have you seen that new innovation and that new innovation is only costing the money you know so Here's my my personal philosophy. This is this is gonna stretch a little bit outside of architecture, but it's gonna be right at the heart of it. We continuously add more and more work hours to our day with every innovation. It goes all the way back to that literal agricultural revolution where we were like, hey, instead of foraging for four hours a day, come together in community, let's cook what we gathered, and that's our work. I'm gonna go make some skins for my free time or something. We went to, but if we plant these, we can feed way more people than our boom that we couldn't go back the bottom line is every time we innovate <clears throat> every time we come up with a new piece of technology a new cell phone a new uh the the i home and stuff like that every time we do that we go further away from being able to live off the grid because the whole idea of this passive house thing is right to get rid of our bills but we get rid of our bills by filling these passive houses with technology you know so it's like Hopefully okay, not. Touch screen, you know, doorbell, right? And so that thing's gonna break or it's gonna become out of date. It's gonna have a, a, a cybersecurity issue that needs to be patched and you gotta pay to maintain your internet now. Now internet's a utility, you know? So yep. um, we can't, we really can't go, get to that passive house side because we're, we are catering to the clients and the clients are like ah let's i want more more innovation and they don't realize it's pushing them further and further and further into a work cycle that they're not going to be able to get out of so that's the hard thing on my end is i'm trying to go against the grain but even i can't and i'm i started the company from ground so that i wouldn't have the overhead that you guys have so that i can have some freedom in and pushing this a little bit harder but even i have to say okay I can give you a normal house with a couple of permaculture considerations, just like with sustainability. And that's as good as it's going to get. We have to, we have to make a bigger effort. You know, architects before used to write, they used to be vocal about the ideal societies. They used to be the key drivers in what was trendy in building, you know, the core, you know, Corbu with his, with his uh, inputs into design, you know, it's like, 
but we don't really do that as a group anymore. We don't, we don't drive the construction industry. And I think it's because maybe we've let go of the construction side. And so now the contractors are looking for the paycheck, the clients are looking for innovation and a cheap payout. And we're just stuck catering to both of them. I think we need to change the narrative uh, for sure. We need to change the narrative of what people are asking for. We need to do some innovations in technology that get us away from some of these major innovations in technology that have taken us all the way in the wrong direction. You know, it's it's the same because a lot of residential architecture is not driven by architects. It's only 2% of residential architecture is built by architects. The rest of it is either built by developers or builders. So we say, we put this policy in place and we're going to increase the efficiency in the codes and we're going to slowly move forward. And then I look at my community and I go, they're developing 2021 codes and we're still following 2009. And then we have communities with less than 4,000 people who don't have to follow 2009. How is that servicing us at all you know okay if i can't get in and i'm not going to do better by helping one person at a time how do i get into developing so i can start developing communities that are based on these better building practices that are carbon negative when you talk to people and i think covid and staying at home which you said has impacted you know the black community has impacted a lot of communities is people realize what they want is community that's the thing that they are yep. missing. And it's yep. like, how did we get so far away from community? And they, I read something recently. It's like um, 50% of like uh, 50 to 60 year olds know maybe like 50% of their neighbors. So you get down to, you know, to, to the younger age groups who maybe just moved in. They don't know any of their neighbors. <laughs> no. They don't know anybody. You know, and they're not going out in the community and meeting a neighbor. Yep. And the scary thing is, so I have a, I have a nephew. And so when I was my nephew's age, we were just, we were just out to dinner and I, and I looked at him and I'm like, Hey, do you, where are your friends? You know? And he's like, Oh, I got plenty of friends. I'm like, where are they? He's like, Oh, online. You know, we play games together. And I'm like, huh? So are you going to go outside this summer? You know, like, cause I don't, you know, like, he's like, I don't know, maybe. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't, I don't know what to say about that, you know, cause, but it's, it's their culture. There's nothing wrong with it for them because even if he went outside, there are no kids outside. They're all inside on call of duty and playing online on Minecraft. And they, but they, the thing is they're really building real friendships with each other and stuff. And, I think I think school is probably the last stronghold of community that we have and I don't I don't really know I have zero answers on how to create more of a community other than changing the way we design our neighborhoods like I said we've got we've got this divided kind of thing um, I think one thing I came up with was removing the front yard Just get rid of the front yard move the houses when you de- design the neighborhood design that house up to the sidewalk. I mean, not literally on the sidewalk, but so that the front yard isn't the gathering place. And in that block, all of the backyards are together, you know? And so where, whereas the, the backyard would usually stop, you know, you can still fence that in, but the other end is, has to be open. And then you have a common green space. And now 
you've got a situation where you have some horizontal movement, you know, a place where kids can commonly play and everybody can see and you get the village back. But I don't know, man. It's a tough, it's a tough question and I'm not sure. I'm not sure how this is all going to play out. I'm not sure any of us have the answer to it right now, but starting the conversation of about how do we change that that neighborhood feel and how do we how do we spend less in our houses so we can spend a little bit more in our community, you know, and, and whether that's a, you know, a communal group park in the backyard with the playground with people, you know, whether that um, we have people tell us all the time, you know, they want multi-generational neighborhoods, you know, because the people who, who are retired want to watch the kids in the neighborhood play. You know, you see that people not wanting to move out of the neighborhood because they've lived here for 50 years and now their kids used to play in the street or the front yard or the backyard and they want to watch the next generation's kids do those things. Um, and I keep hearing repeatedly, and maybe it's because I put out there that we do things differently, like you, you know, trying to change change the, the forefront is people keep saying community, community, community. Um, one of the contractors that I work with, she's phenomenal. And she's like, we're going to bring back the visit, which was like a thing. Like you go, you hang out for half an hour on somebody's porch and you just mm -hmm. visit, you know, like what's going on in your life. And, um, my sister lives in Lancaster city in, in a row home and their friends live a couple houses down the street. And my niece has struggled being home cause she's very social. She likes to be in the school atmosphere. She likes, and um, one day the, the little neighbor girl's dad showed up on my sister's door with a walkie talkie so that the two of them, they live like four houses apart can talk to each other on these walkie talkies. Cause they weren't allowed to get right. together, you know? And then, and then it got to the point where they would they would sit on their porch and the neighbors would come down and you know sit on the steps or the sidewalk and they would bring back mm -hmm. the visit you know in in the community because especially when they weren't going to school you know they everybody's missing that real sense of community and if we can get back to to doing that and and knowing each other and you know knowing the neighbors or um we all need to maybe go back to the child mentality right where you don't know any better and, and open expand your mind to, to be broad and yeah. Yeah, no, generous. Most definitely because I mean, they, kids are creative, man. And I don't know, I just, what's happening right now um, with, the, with the drive towards technology and internet and like virtual meetings and stuff. Um, I hate to say it, I hate to be the, the harbinger of bad news, but it's, we definitely got a like a revolution coming where like just like when COVID came and they're like okay social distancing measures now well in a second it's gonna be okay we need to get you know social inclusion measures now because this is not gonna be this is not conducive we're social animals and we can we can design and we can come up with all these cool things to to make our lives more convenient but at the end of the day our neurology can't evolve as quickly as our society is changing and we're gonna have to slow down and find some some healthy common ground because so take have you been to new york take new york for example like you got the high line in new york where like people are too dense and now they're like okay i'm gonna get away to the country or i'm gonna walk this nature preserve because i'm so out of touch with what's conducive to my mental health and we're gonna start 
then we're going to start like reversing like okay this is i crave to see people we're going to have we're going to have like issues where people like i don't i'm disconnected i have nobody i don't understand i want to i i'm missing something and i think when that happens we'll have our moment you know as architects right now microsoft is is kicking our ass for for lack of better words i think um as, as terrible as the number of lives that we've lost during COVID-19 and everything else, I, I'm hoping that it's given everybody a chance to to take a moment because unfortunately, I think the, the reality is people say, oh yeah, that's important, but I'm too busy to think mm-hmm. about it right now. And that's maybe how we've gotten ourselves into where we're at. You're right. Technology was meant to make us more efficient and give us more time. But then you look at some of the really great technological advancements, you know, when they first started making automobiles on the, on the, assembly line one this is consumerism so they were trying to make it available to everybody maybe that wasn't the direction we should have gone but they're trying to make it available to everyone but one thing that that they did say was they were going to pay their workers enough to be able to afford an automobile coming off of the assembly line and they weren't going to make them work more than a certain number of hours so you had time to actually enjoy this thing that you've that you've just made. And somehow we've lost the point at which we've given ourselves time to enjoy whatever this new technology is. Um, And uh, I don't know if this study is correct, but I read somewhere that um, we have lost also our ability to be bored and that's usually where creativity comes around. So we all have devices and we've got Netflix and iTunes and podcasts and we've got all these things that can just fill up that time so that we're we're no longer bored you know it's just like the kids going outside to play you know you used to have to you you had a yard with grass and you didn't have things in it and you had to figure out how to make that entertaining you know so we sort of lost our and um had a friend that worked at at intel which is one of these great creative you know businesses where they're designing technology they give every summer years they give three month sabbaticals and they're like go take time do because some of the most creative things were invented during those three month sabbaticals when you gave yourself time to rest and time to breathe and time to be part of your community and do the things that you really enjoyed um i've talked to several architects over the years who are like i took a year off and went and did, you know, I mountain climbed, I climbed every peak in the, you know, and obviously in some places you have to have the ability to financially do a year off, but it it doesn't mean that you couldn't do a different job or a different kind of work or, or, or something that just gives your, your brain a break. And we've gotten to the point where we just fill it with so much stuff and so much technology and so much you're on all the time that we've forgotten to, you know, so, so I apologize for not getting back to your email this weekend because I tried not to check my work email on the weekends because we have to give ourselves that mental break and um, COVID-19 probably has made this worse for other people, but work from home um, can be really challenging if you don't have any reason to leave the office. (laughs) You all of a sudden have, (laughs) 12 hours later and you're still sitting at your desk or, or doing something. And, and, you know, as great as zoom meetings are like, 
I would not have met you in Ohio without Zoom meetings. You know, so as great as they are to connect us with people that we that we don't know, it's also super easy to say, "Hey, I'll set up this Zoom meeting," and all of a sudden you've got ten Zoom meetings in one day, and you you know haven't left your office. And so I say all the time, the chair and I have become one in my office during the last yeah. two months. So. That hopefully, you know, and this is my perspective and maybe like you, it's outside the box, but I think that's how we as architects need to move forward and transform the face of what we're doing. Um, because I've really hated the statement over the last two months where people are like, I can't wait to get back to normal. Well, normal wasn't that great. No, it wasn't. <laughs> no, it was not. Normal wasn't super awesome. So why do we want to get back to something? Yes, we need to get back to reality, which is that not everybody is uh, staying at home, quarantined, and, and certainly using more hand, hand sanitizer than is really healthy for you. Not right. super great. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but our new normal should be better. I mean, we could make it anything we want to. Mm -hmm. Why don't we do that? So. Yeah. That is, that is a cool thought. Hey, I know you're busy. I don't want to take up a lot of your time. I appreciate you coming on, sharing your perspective, talking about what's going on in the world right now, sharing what you think the future in the face of architecture is. Um, to go back a little bit more to our beginning, are there things that um, we as architects or as I share this podcast with the other architects and the people who listen on here that I should be attaching it to, to, you know, to keep the discussion alive. Uh, just, just know that anybody's watching this. I mean, you see me, you see who I am. I am a black lives matter protester. Understand that, that this is, this is who is being, I personally have had guns pulled on me. I've been slammed up against my car for getting out of my car in front of my house during frisk and search. And I mean, it was violent. It was like three police cars pulled up, guns out, made me get out of the car with my hands up. I've, I'm involved in no criminal activity. Um, so, you know, this is, this is just regular stuff. I don't know how many of you guys have that story, but this is like, this is, mm -hmm. there's potential for that every other day for me and any, and so that's what we're protesting about. Long story short, look at me, normal, just like you guys. I can hold conversations like you guys. I'm rational. I'm nonviolent. Uh, I'm abiding in society just like you are. But I am tired and I'm upset that there are, there's no accountability in the police force and that it's been allowed to go on this long. And it's disgusting for people to think that this is okay. The ostrich in the sand doesn't happen in my community. Uh, no experience with it is something that we have uh, certainly held on to and stood behind for, for way too long. Staying, uh, I understand staying silent is also, you know, one of the worst things that you can do. And so um, the dehumanization of things we don't understand is terrible. Um, I appreciate your time. Thanks. Thanks for the exposure. Thanks for everything. That's great. Really appreciate that. I appreciate the sexual community stepping up the way it has. I mean, across the board, I haven't, I haven't seen very many architects opposing it. They're all like, you know what, people are people, and you're gonna stand behind it. So that that speaks to the to the uh, profession. I appreciate so. that you took the time to talk to me and you know help me 
educate myself and get better at knowing what's going on. Uh, somebody shared on the forum that we both belong to a really terrible statistic of, about the number of, of Black individuals who are in the profession of architecture and how can we change that? Is it is it knowing access to it? Is it, you know, was, was there a barrier to entry to going to architecture school or, you know, getting a license after architecture school or getting a job? I, I have one thing to say about that. Um, proximity. The, the reason I got into it, I asked a question and got an answer, sure. But then um, an architect, a white architect came into my community to show me it, to, to let me see what an architect is and encourage that I can do it. We, what we don't see, we don't think we can do. So if there's not somebody in our community who's not done it, we don't consider it. We consider trades, we consider rapping, music, arts, um, even being police officers, military, president, um, you know, we, you know, the mayor, we, we consider all of these things because we see them, but the architect is such a rare creature, right? Um, and as I said, you guys speak up. We're still rock stars. If you jumped out in your community right now and said, I'm an architect, you know, that you're going to get questions like, really? what do you design and so on and so forth and then you just you just pull people into the profession it's just about proximity um if you want more minorities then go where the minorities are go into a into a school where there's a lot of minorities and open up your office and profession to them and let them get excited on their own like this is great and i really enjoyed this uh discussion that we had and i hope that it is pushing you know your story forward you are you are right on par because you're because one you're not it's not like you're telling us how to feel or anything like that you're just trying to understand and that's what that's i'm telling you like 75 percent of the energy of black lives matter is just getting people who don't want to understand to understand so that's the that's the key also at the very beginning and throughout this whole thing um it's just we've talked about black lives matter and and you, you've shown everybody that um, you've given everybody access to a protester. Thank you for sharing your story today. As architects, designers, builders, subcontractors, and building scientists, we impact our communities every day. And right now, our country is asking for us to do better. So if you're enjoying the podcast, feel free to share it. If you have a topic that you'd like to talk about, send me an email, emily at matramarch.com. And if not, I'll see you on the podcast again next week.